Today, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and we are going to, to talk about a familiar story to some of you, and it's the woman at the well. Uh, and maybe you want to open up your device or open up your Bible to John chapter 4, uh, where our message today is actually going to begin in verse 7, uh, and uh, we, will, uh, we will get there. But one of the things that I, I think is very interesting when we start thinking about it is how many barriers have been broken down over the, your lifetime and over my lifetime to be able to gain access so that individuals could hear the gospel. I mean, just think about it, even in your lifetime, regardless of how old you are, maybe not your youngest child, but certainly in my 59 years, uh, it has the, the access through the web, through a variety of means to be able to penetrate the, the communities and the world in ways that we never thought possible to gain access in all of the languages, just about in a variety of ways. Now, there are still some languages, uh, tribes, cultures, languages, groups that don't have a clear copy of God's Word. Wycliffe works on that tenaciously to be able to try and provide a a Bible translation that's in every tribe, every tongue, and there still are some that don't have that. But isn't it amazing to think about how great that access to the gospel, to biblical truth, has expanded just over your lifetime? One of the things that I know is, is that even though access has been just, just been radically increased over the years, it doesn't necessarily always matriculate into individuals that take that access and then lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but there certainly is a decline in the number of people that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's been happening for many years. Access is increasing, but people are not using that access to be able to lead others to Jesus. We did a survey a few months ago. The paper copies of it are in the back. Uh, the access to, to that is also on our website. If you go to fcbcjacks.com and go to the top headers, there's survey results you can pull down. I'd like to just share a couple of these with you because I think it, it has an indicator to who we are as a church. In the several hundred, 325 people responded uh, to the survey. Listen to, uh, to the questions and then some of the raw data responses. Um, from these. Uh, question is, is how many people have you invited to be your guest on Sunday worship or life group over the past 12 months? You know, the exciting thing is, is of the 325 people surveyed, uh, one to five people seems to be the largest answer that was answered by individuals uh, over the past 12 months to life group or to worship. By the 325 people that responded to this, one to five people was, uh, was there. So, some people are inviting individuals. How many close friends do you have at Fort Caroline Baptist Church? Uh, the, the predominant answer was four or more. One thing I know is, is that group data analysis says if you don't have four to six friends in four to six months of visiting a, a new church, four to six months later you'll be gone. So it's interesting when we look at this data that, that people are making friends. They see friends that they have here. And what about those friends? How many friends with whom do you interact per month that do not believe in Jesus? They, uh, the number was almost equal between four or more and zero. Now, that's interesting data when we think about it. If you think about this, 
that there are people that have four or more friends that are here. They interact with them on a regular basis, but equally it's split between those that, that do not believe in Jesus and those that do. That's, that's healthy. That's good. Because that means that you're placing yourself in intersections and circles of life with individuals at work or school or neighbors or, or even family that haven't got this Jesus thing all figured out yet. How regularly do you socialize with people who do not know Jesus? And it says at least weekly, which means that's either at work or at school or in those circles. At least weekly, you find yourself associating with those individuals that may not yet know Christ. Now, here's where it kind of falls in a little different direction. When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone and led them to invite Christ into their life in of the same individuals that said, hey, I've got four or so people that are in my intersections in life and I, that don't know Jesus and, and I spend time with them often weekly. The two predominant answers were, I, I have never done that or it's been more than a year. Now, for me, I can look at this data and say, bad. <laughs> but do you know what? That's me. I place myself in intersections of individuals who do not yet have the Jesus thing all figured out. And I don't feel the urgency to be able to share Christ as effectively as I should. So there's no way that I could say anything to you that I'm not guilty of myself. But it, it should break my heart. It should break my heart today to know that while we're sitting here in the 26 minutes that you all have to endure me left, that there will be people that are going to step off into a Christless hell and, and it just hasn't really even bothered me much this week. I mean, that, that should, if you, if you think about that a little bit, it really should grip us to say, Man, I need to do something different. What I'm doing isn't working. And I think today's story in the woman at the well in John chapter 4 is one of those times that we can look at barriers that we may have had and that were there in this story and then ways that Jesus worked through those barriers with this woman because this was, I believe, this was purely an evangelistic impact that went out to a woman that would have been thought to to not at all have been on the radar of any of the Jewish men that were there. John chapter 4, let, if you have your Bibles open or whatever, let me introduce John chapter 4 by reading the first six verses. Again, our message is going to be seven through, the re, through about 26 areas. It says, therefore, the, excuse me, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and uh, baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, kind of clarification. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city in, of Samaria, which is called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I want to lay the groundwork for what we're about to go over together because when they went, when Jesus intentionally went to Samaria, we need to understand that this was to the Jewish people enemy territory. 
The Jewish people did not like the Sumerians. There were large, large prejudice that build up over the years. It was in the 10th century and then clarified in the 8th century BC that there was this huge divide that if you could say the worst thing that you could say about a Jew, it was that he was a Sumerian or a Samaritan. That was why there was such a shock in the Jewish religious, religious leaders' eyes and mind that Jesus would have ever used a Samaritan in a story to do something good for a Jewish man, you should have chosen anybody else but a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were religious people. They were religious people that held to the belief in the Pentateuch, and they had some additional other trappings that they brought into that. But the first five books of the Old Testament, they held to as legitimate, and then they adapted a variety of other pagan type of things to to their worship practices and processes, and they were together at a temple site on Mount Gerizim, and that's where they thought that they should worship. But as Jesus approaches, he sits down, dismisses the men. They go into town to get supplies. Don't you think it's a little ironic that the men would never, that Jesus' followers never would have thought that it would have been um, desirable to talk to a Samaritan, but they didn't find any problem at all going in and getting supplies, buying Samaritan food, interacting with Samaritans to get food. They may have shifted more to a missional lifestyle than a cultural, traditional-based lifestyle, but I can tell you those prejudices still existed, and there were barriers that were right there in the face of Jesus, and he was trying desperately to share with a woman that he who went out to get water at an unusual time of the day. Going out at midday to get water, there was a story behind that, and we're going to find out what that story is. So if your Bible or device is open to, uh, to John chapter 4, let's look at the first barrier in verses 7 through 9. The barrier 1 is overcoming what we think about others. Jesus took the initiative and came into her world. Verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This was an insertion by John, and this was an understatement. In fact, what it, what it really means is, is any Jewish person that touches a drinking device that a Samaritan has touched and drank from it would be considered ceremonially unclean. So her shock was that he even talked to her because Jewish men would not talk to women out in the open. They wouldn't even talk to their own wives out in the open, much less a strange woman or a Samaritan woman. There, there was this separation that existed in Jesus's stepping into her world, trying to engage in conversation. And you see, if you're going to share your faith, there are going to be people that you're going to need to share your faith with that you may not have a lot in common with, but God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, you need to talk to that person. You need to talk to them. And you say, well, Lord, we don't have anything in common. They like this. I like that. They, I, I, we don't have anything. I don't care. You need to talk to them. You need to bridge that gap. And we see very clearly that Jesus engaged her. She wasn't looking for him. If you look in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus because his heart was searching. She wasn't looking for Jesus. But he had a divine appointment. 
with her. That she's going to become someone that she's not right now. Barrier number two, misunderstanding what is said. Jesus captured her attention and revealed her confusion. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me just stop here for a second. Kind of the restructuring of this is, If you had any idea who I am, If you had a clue of who I am, you'd be finding a way to get me water. If you knew, actually knew who it is that is talking to you, you'd do whatever you could to get me a drink of water. You see, she's still here in the place in her life. She's misunderstanding what's said. She doesn't understand what he's saying because he's going to, he introduces living water to her. She, and then she's, the woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. It was 100 feet or more deep. Uh, it was a deep well. Should have had good, clear water. Uh, where then do you get that living water? She's still stuck around the material. She's misunderstanding what he's saying. He's talking spiritual. She's thinking material. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, there are many Bible commentators that believe that this is pretty sarcastic, that she's being a little sarcastic. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Basically, she's saying, what world do you think you are? You're going to get water? You, don't even, you didn't even bring a bucket. You didn't bring a rope. You didn't bring anything to get it out. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? It's sarcasm all through here. Listen, you're going to run into people many times. If you share your faith often, you're going to run into people who are going to be sarcastic. I used to be like that. I mean, if someone would come and share with me before I knew Christ, I would try the best I could to get them to the place that they would be upset enough that they would walk away. You're going to run into people like that. But Jesus was trying to capture her attention and then reveal her confusion. Because, you see, he was talking about living water. Look at verses... uh, Go over to John chapter 7 real quick. And let's look at verses 37 through 39. On the last day, trying to unpack this, what's this living water? On the last day, the great day at a feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. He who believes in me, uh, as the scripture has said, look look at this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Very important for us to understand that Jesus was saying to her, yes, you need these things spiritually. You need water spiritually. But there's coming a time, if you'll believe in me, that there's going to be someone that's going to well up inside of you that's going to relieve these confusions that you have, the spiritual confusions that you have. And what's going to happen is that there's going to be rivers of living water that are going to come up inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a time in the future. It's not right now. Helping her understand, the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw. Oh, excuse me. Um, uh, where did I go? But whoever drinks of this water, but the water that I shall give him uh, will become in him a fountain of water springing up. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Still, apart, she's not getting it. 
there's this confusion factor. You know, if you have living water and I don't have to come here anymore at noon or any time, man, that'd be great. So, you know, give me that. You know, have it come now. I'd, I'd rather not come here and avoid the shame that I get from these individuals as they, they shame me because of my lifestyle. Uh, give me that water. She's still not getting it. She's not bridged the gap yet. But here's what we need to understand that is this. Jesus is creating a relationship with her in order to bridge the gap for confrontation. Okay? Um, that's the next barrier is lifestyle choices. Barrier four, lifestyle choices in 16 through 18. Uh, Jesus did not shame her into conversion, uh, uh, into conversion, nor did he pacify her situation. He didn't sugarcoat it, but he also didn't wag his finger at her. Look at 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Woo-hoo. Go call your husband and have, why don't both of you come on over, let's do a Bible study together. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. You had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband in that you have spoken truly. This is critical. Jesus did not sugarcoat her situation. But he didn't make her situation the pinnacle of all of the conversation. You see, I think that sometimes the longer that you may have been a person that knows Christ, walked in your faith, that there are particular things that people do that you just can't get over. I just can't get over it. In order for them to be able uh, to trust in Christ, they've got to ditch this lifestyle. They've got to ditch that lifestyle. They've got to get themselves right first in order for them to be right first, and then they can hear the gospel. And it's, it's the other way around. It was the other way around in your life. It's the other way around in my life. It was when I came to faith in Christ, then I got my life right. I didn't want to get my life right. <laughs> I thought sin was a lot of fun. I mean, it was fun to do all those things that I was doing then. I, I wasn't, I, I think another thing that sometimes that we lose is, is we think that, or I thought that people that are, that are not yet followers of Christ that are engaged in lifestyles that, that I, I can elevate wrongly and say they're miserable people. I wasn't miserable. But I will tell you what I was missing. Peace, joy, hope, future, and purpose. I was missing that in my life. I was missing it. Jesus said, you're right. And if you were to look at the woman, just, just sometime, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow, just look at her responses. Initially, she responds with a few words. As they talk back and forth, her responses are longer. What's happening? He's building a relationship with her to the point that he then says, you know, you're right. You're living in sin. The, one, the person that you have right now, you're living with, and he's not your husband either. But what's so crazy is this. She didn't run away. She didn't leave. She didn't shut him down. She was still wide open. Barrier number five, religious knowledge. Verses 19 to 25, Jesus took her where she was. And that's what we've got to do. We can't expect people 
that may never have been in church to act like churched people. Or we can't expect people that have never read the Bible to have biblical truth all figured out. She took him, or he took her where she was and helped her, helped her understand the truth. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Isn't this crazy? So he was able to understand, showing his omniscience, was able to say, I know what's going on in your life. I know the people that you've been with. I know all your husbands. And in fact, if you want me to, I can give you their birth dates, their names, all of that. If, you know, you want me to do that. Uh, and he could do it. But he said, she said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet, meaning you know what it is that's important. Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, Gerizim, you could fill that in. And you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, very important. You could highlight that or whatever. The hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Jesus was predicting what would happen in A.D. 70 by Titus. Titus came in under the Roman occupation and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. A little bit later, a collection of Roman soldiers, a garrison went up and completely destroyed Mount Gerizim, the temple there, and killed a number of Samaritans. Jesus says there's coming a time that neither one of these external trappings that you think are so important to you, uh, of where you're supposed to worship, neither one of those are going to exist. And the reason why, he continues. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, meaning from the Jews. But the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. This is refrigerator art right here. Uh, Verse 24 is it. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, look at this. I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm him. I just told you that the person that you're, that you're living with is not your husband. I just told you all things. In fact, what you see, if you read on a little further on your own, that was what propelled her to leave there. She left her bucket. She left her uh, everything there. And she left and went back to her city. And she told people, guys, you just got to understand. I met a man. I'll bet they said, I'll bet you did. <laughs> Number seven? No, 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 no. I, I met a man who told me all things about myself. What did she say? When the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. What was happening to her? What was happening to her is there was a spiritual awakening that was beginning inside of her to say, In fact, she said to, if you read on a little further, could he be the Christ? Could he be the Christ? Jesus said, I'm I'm the one. I'm the one that you're looking for. You see, this gal, there were a number of barriers that were right in her life, and Jesus kept going through those and providing opportunities for us to say, there is no barrier that would come into your life or my life from those people that may be in your circles that you and I have as our circles that we may have passed by. 
I, I've done it this week, and I'm not proud of it, but I know I have. I've taken opportunities to share my faith, and I've walked past those. And we've got to be a people that if you know Christ personally, I appeal to you, become soul conscious. Become conscious that people need you to share your faith with them in a way that Jesus provided for us so many clear examples. He didn't make the, the major, the major, but he didn't sugarcoat it. He, he loved people to the end. He clearly reasoned through their faith with them and revealed opportunities when they were exposed to be able to share with them areas that needed to be changed in a way that caused them to want to change. You see, we are the church. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your personal Savior, we are the mobilizers of the movement. We're it. There isn't a plan B. It's us. There are people that are intersections in life that need to be shared this faith with. You and I need to be as evangelistic as this woman was when she left. She went into town. She didn't think about shame. Look with me at verses uh, 39 to 42. In fact, I see a barrier that's broken, and she's a person that went from living in shame to sharing her story. This woman could not keep her changed life to herself. 39 to 42. And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I did. Is that crazy or what? She shared her testimony. You guys have a testimony. It's your story of pre-conversion life, how you came to know Christ personally, and then what has happened in your life after you came to know Christ. You've got that kind of a story. Share it with someone this week because of her story. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said. For Listen to this. This is where you are. For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. He went from this obscure man that no one would talk to. He's the Savior of the world. What is she? She's a believer. She's an evangelist. She's telling people about Jesus. She doesn't keep her faith hidden in a basket. She doesn't keep herself constrained back and say, well, I don't want to say anything. It may hurt their feelings. Or I don't know if I should say that or not because I may lose them as a friend. And, and all of those things were not things that, that helped or constrained her. Her, her condition in life, the, the, her lifestyle choices, none of those things mattered. What mattered to her is, I think this guy could be the Christ. Now, we look back 2,000 years later and we say he was, wasn't he? He was who he said he was. And again, you may be like me. Many, many years ago, I could hear something like this and say, well, that sounds cool. That sounds great. I'm just not ready yet, and I understand that. But maybe today, maybe today could be that day for one of you to say, you know what? I know I've sinned. I know I've done things or said things or thought things that aren't pleasing to God. I know eventually that probably someday I'm going to have to talk to somebody about that. And I've heard someone say that, you know, that if I haven't trusted in Christ, that there's a very real judgment coming one day. 
man, you've caused me to start thinking. Thinking about what if today were the day? Would I be ready? You know, you could be. You could be ready. Uh, and it's as simple as admitting to God that you're a sinner. Every one of us is. The only difference that there is is between me and maybe you, if you're in this particular place, is that I, I know Christ personally, but man, I'm still a sinner. On my best days, I'm still a sinner. The difference is, is I'm saved. You realize you're a sinner. And you don't want to leave this place without calling out to Christ and saying, I know I'm a sinner. Please, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be the boss of my life. I've made a mess of it so far. I don't want to do it anymore. That they have realized I need, I need what you can give. I need it. Please come in. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I don't want to leave this place in the condition I'm in. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And all I can tell you is, not only by my witness, but by the witness of many, many in this place, that we could take all the rest of the morning and beyond, people stand up and say, I did that and he did that. I made a decision like that and he did that in my life. Over and over and over again. And all I can tell you is, is this appeal that Jesus made to that woman and their following through is not an isolated incident in history. It can be a real event in your life. Jesus came to destroy the barriers that separate us from God and from each other and bring us to God. Here's my question. Here's my, my challenge to everyone, me included. Listen, if there's one finger out there, four or five or a dozen pointing right back at me, I've got it. I've got to get this right in my life. What's going to happen in your life that's different this week when it comes to sharing your faith? Who is it right now? Just, just think. Who is it right now that you know in your circles that do not yet know Christ? How are you going to create a conversation with them to be able to help you to be able to share your story with them at a point that they could then make a decision to trust in Jesus? And you're not going to wait until a, a specific birthday or a major event, but you're going to pray about an opportunity to be able to share with them. And you're going to begin praying now, this week, and, you, and if an opportunity presents itself, will you do that this week? Will you make time, because none of us have any more than 168 hours in a week, will you make time this week? Because eternity is in the balance. Eternity is in the balance. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be able to see clearly in your word that you love us, you care for us, that you've demonstrated that so clearly. God, the story of the Samaritan woman is one that just reminds me again of how patient that your son is and how he provides such a clear example for us to be able to share with others who may have barriers that we've created or they've created and how we can be able to break through those barriers through the power of your Holy Spirit to see lives change forever for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, this week, this message will have a measurable and meaningful impact in our lives. And we wouldn't walk away from here and just feel good about ourselves because we know Christ, but we would be crushed to the core by the people who do not. Lord, I pray for that person that may be here today that doesn't have 
uh, the, uh, this all figured out, just like me. They're on their journey. God, thank you that they're here. Thank you of all the places they could be on a Sunday morning they chose to be here. God, use us as your ambassadors this week as though we're pleading on your behalf to be, have people reconciled back to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.